0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today, glad you're ready to study the Bible, and hopefully we'll get some answers for you to some of your questions. That's the way this program works is we take viewers' questions. Uh, A lot of religious TV programs tell you what they think you need to know. Uh, We're a little bit different. We ask you what you'd like to know. Uh, We know a lot of people have questions about the Bible, uh, maybe a specific thing in the Bible that they've been taught or always heard or always wondered about. We'll try to find you an answer. And a lot of people have things going on in their life uh, or maybe something in the news that they think, man, I wonder what God thinks about that. What's the Bible say about that? We'll try to find you an answer to any of those kind of questions too. We just want you to know your Bible a little bit better. And we think a good way to do that is ask you what you'd like to know. Uh, The way you ask is there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Be there all through the program. You can use them anytime. Get in touch with us. Tell us what's on your mind and we'll try to answer it for you from the Bible. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, we've got some good ones coming up. Always do, but we always start with one for our viewers Here's your question for the day. Uh, what was Paul's Jewish tribe? Last week we asked you what was Paul's Jewish name? Uh, today, see, what tribe did he come from? And uh, see if you know a little, that little bit of Bible history. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, we got a pretty basic
1: one here. We do. A uh, viewer asked the question, what does the word Bible mean? Why is it called that? Well, on program called know your bible i guess uh, probably the most basic question is <clears throat> what does it mean why why do we call it the bible well the word bible actually simply means <clears throat> books or collection of books uh, if you ever wrote a paper in college uh, probably toward the end of that you wrote something called a bibliography meaning write down all the places that you got all this information that you're sharing and uh, the bible is the holy the, the Holy Bible is the holy collection of books, meaning those that we believe were not just written by men, uh, but that they were inspired by God himself, that he um, guided them in the writing of those things. Uh, it's a divinely inspired collection of 66 books uh, written by over 40 different authors over a collection over uh, 1,600 years, and it's uh, 100% accurate. Uh, it's consistent. Uh, you think about the time that's covered from Genesis to Revelation, many centuries there, and yet it's consistent in its message throughout the centuries. And in my opinion, it stands alone as the most impactful and, by the way, the most ta- uh, tested and tried book of all time. It's very unique as it relates to other books and other uh, Claims from other books, um, the Bible has been more tested by more critics than any other book I can. There's nothing else that even comes close, and yet the Bible has been found to be true, consistent, and uh, uh, absolutely perfect in its uh, all the teachings that it has. Uh, so let's read from Second Timothy chapter two, sorry chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen. Paul said this to Timothy regarding uh, the sacred writings. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that's why we believe it's so important on this program and that's why we encourage you to study it. A good question and I hope it helps you in your study.
0: Alrighty, a question about the rapture and we get a lot questions about the rapture, but this one's a little bit different. It says, Please explain the rapture and how it affects me. Well, I like that. Let's see if we can do that. Uh, first of all, we always point out the word rapture. It's not in the Bible. Uh, can't find that word there. The concept is in there. Uh, rapture, the technical, way, what it really means is a transition of being caught up might be a a good one, transitioned from someplace, raptured from one place to another uh, in a divine kind of way. So there are some folks in the Bible who were raptured in that sense of the word. They were caught up. Uh, Enoch was caught up and Elijah was caught up. Uh, They transitioned from this life to be with the Lord uh, instantaneously, divinely, miraculously. They were raptured, we could say, even though the Bible doesn't use that term. The Bible also says at the second coming, uh, when Christ comes back from heaven with the spirits of those who have gone on before us, uh, that we will be caught up. Those of us who are still alive will be caught up uh, to be with him and our... Uh, bodies will be resurrected given a resurrection body Uh, they'll be caught up and united with the spirit so that's what the Bible says now there's a whole lot of folks that have been taught that believe and when I say a whole lot of folks I mean today this is a very recent modern uh, interpretation of uh, Revelation and Daniel and a few things Uh, the left behind series probably Popularized it more than anything, uh, where this big theory and doctrine of exactly what's going to happen. Uh, people are going to be, good people are going to be raptured out of their cars and homes, and the bad people are going to be left, and there's going to be tribulation. And all of you have heard some of that, and some of you go to churches where that's all people talk about. Uh, The preacher tries to figure out every detail from Revelation and Daniel and tell you what's going to happen. And our viewer asks a really good question. He says, "How's that affect me? Now, we all know your Bible. Don't believe in that uh, doctrine of the rapture that's popularized today. Uh, We don't believe the Bible teaches that. We believe it's a misinterpretation of a lot of... Revelation and Daniel, it was already fulfilled. But our viewer says, how does that affect me? And here's my answer, whether all of that is true or whether what we think is going to happen at the second coming is what's really gonna happen, how it affects you is you need to be ready personally. And your time is gonna come either when you die Or you may be one of the ones still alive when Jesus comes again. If he comes tomorrow, I'll be alive, hopefully. Uh, And the only answer I've got is I've got to be ready. And you've got to be ready. Uh, Our time will most likely come when we die. Uh, Then how the second coming happens and whether there's a rapture and all that, that's a moot point. Uh, We need to be ready when we die. So... My answer to you, how does it affect you? Not really at all. Uh, just be ready when your time comes, uh, whether it's at your death or if you're still alive when he comes, then you'll know all the answers. You'll have it figured out, but you still got to be ready uh, because that's when the judgment will come. So uh, that's what the rapture is in the Bible. Be ready.
1: <laughs> Good explanation. Uh, someone wants this explanation about something that Jesus said. Explain, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's from this first section, which all the uh, verses begin with blessed. And uh, we call this the Beatitudes. Let's read it from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the Beatitudes are these nine distinct attitudes and um, heart conditions of a disciple of Jesus. And he really calls them out about being pure in heart and uh, all, all of these. Um, uh, and they're very beautiful. And when you want to think about, well, how does Jesus want me to live? And what kind of heart does he want me to have? Uh, these are uh, wonderful descriptions. Now, the word meek is often misinterpreted as weak. Uh, that is not what meek means. Uh, meek has once defined, I think, very well as strength under control. And I'll give you a picture of that, which will help you. Uh, I have a son who is in Taekwondo, and he goes once a week and he practices. And uh, oftentimes, because he's pretty new to it, uh, he's a lower color belt, and so, but he's practicing and sparring with higher belts, black belts, and sometimes even his own teacher. And as they spar with him, uh, they understand the level he's at, and they don't. You know, they could, in theory, I suppose, uh, just wipe the floor with him, but they don't, because they have their strength under control. Uh, they have a desire to teach him and to help him and to uh, to see him get to that level, uh, and so they keep their. Uh, even though they have greater abilities, uh, they keep it in control. They keep it in reserve. And to me, that's a wonderful uh, picture of meekness. Um, Jesus was quoting when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, from Psalm 37, verse 11. So when you read Psalm 37, uh, it gives you a much better context of what the word meekness means. You get a picture of someone who delights themselves in the Lord, who commits their way to the Lord, uh, who is still before the Lord, Uh, who refrains from anger, who doesn't worry over things and doesn't worry about evil people, but puts his hope and his trust and his faith in God. He's calm, he's collected, he's reserved. doesn't have to freak out, doesn't have to lose his head even when everyone else around him is losing theirs uh, because his trust, his faith, his hope is in the Lord. And so meek people are people who patiently submit their will to God's, commit themselves completely to Him trust Him fully and aren't swayed by evil and by the conventional wisdom of the day. Um, They patiently wait. They don't worry. They don't lose their temper. They put their strength, their power under God's full control. So that's a meekness. Psalm 37 fills it out, fleshes it out a little bit better. And um, we have our strength under God's control. I hope that helps in defining meekness.
0: Alrighty, thank you. Let me take just a moment to talk about studying the Bible. Uh, I know we study the Bible a little bit here each week, and hopefully you learn just a few things, but the Bible's got a whole lot more in it than we can cover if we were on for a century or more. Uh, That's why we advocate home Bible study. We've got some materials. Happy to provide them to you. A good way to get started in Bible study, and like the screen said, they're absolutely free. Uh, we even pay the postage if uh, you want to study with Know Your Bible study tools. Uh, there's a set of lessons on the screen right now. There are eight of them. A good way to study the Bible. A good basic overview introduces you to the Bible. And uh, when you're done with that, eight lessons, uh, we've got a certificate we'll get to you that uh, shows that you accomplished a pretty good study and you'll know a lot more about your Bible. Uh, another byproduct, hopefully, is you'll have formed a regular habit of Bible study and be ready to go on and study some more advanced courses that we have and uh, maybe turn into a lifelong Bible student and know a lot about your bible so good way to get started phone number website are on the screen all the time. use them anytime, just say you'd like that free Bible course, and uh, we'll get you the first lesson out. You can see if you like it. If you don't like it, we won't bother you in any way. You don't have to uh, keep going if you don't want to. If it's not helpful, uh, most people go right on through it and tell us how much they appreciate it. But uh, maybe it doesn't fit you. If so, we're not going to bother you. You're not going to be put on a mailing list. or uh, We'll never ask you for money. We promise that. So uh, if you want to study the Bible, we can help you, I think. Give us a call or log on. All right, I got a question here. When people are sick with cancer, et cetera, and they're suffering, uh, why won't God let them die? Well, uh, I appreciate you being honest enough to answer that, and everybody listening has asked the same question. Uh, Toby and I ask that questions ourselves sometimes. Uh, why uh, can't this end? Uh, why does this have to go on? This just doesn't seem fair to us. And from our perspective, uh, we're stuck in this time and uh, this place where we see pain as the awful thing that it is in this world. And so we naturally ask that question. Uh, this just doesn't seem right to us. Uh, I'll say a couple things about it. One... Uh, I've seen people suffer. Uh, I've seen family members <coughs> suffer. Uh, I've learned a lot uh, from people who are suffering, uh, and I know that sounds a little strange, but uh, they they teach lessons. I've watched them suffer with a Christian hope and a Christian faith, uh, and I've learned from them. Uh, they have an effect on people. Uh, Family members see it. Uh, Doctors and nurses even see it. They see what Christian faith is. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it's certainly a possible reason that God just doesn't eliminate all pain and suffering. Uh, This world is full of pain and suffering. It's a result of sin. It's not what God wants, but it's uh, what we have to go through. So uh, why doesn't God end it? God's ways are not my ways. Uh, I think when we get there, when we get to a different perspective, uh, we'll see the purpose of it. We'll understand it more. And we can't see that perspective right now. The Apostle Paul had a little glimpse of that, I guess. And here's the way he explained it. And maybe this is as well as anybody can explain it. Uh, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, Paul talked about all of his afflictions and all of his sufferings, and he had a hard old life uh, because of his job as a missionary. But here's what he said about all suffering. He said, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So I can't explain why God lets it go on, But I know from the perspective that Paul had, he said this suffering, whatever it is, it's light and it's momentary compared to the glory that we're going to receive. I think we'll understand that someday. Uh, We'll look back and understand it just like we do some physical things. Uh, We've had some things... Happened? Maybe you've had a surgery or an illness, and in the middle of it, you thought it was the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to a human. And a few years later now, you can't really remember that pain. Uh, It's faded away into the good feeling that you have now. So I can't explain that kind of question. Uh, I know that uh, someday we'll understand.
1: A viewer asks uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, has always said, Cast your bread upon the waters. My new NIV study Bible says, Ship your grain across the sea. Why? Well, welcome to the world of translations. They can be a little tricky. Um, as. You take one language and translate it into another language a lot of times you have uh, you can't fully convey the meaning or the idea now uh Ecclesiastes was written the original language in Hebrew, and as it's translated into english uh there's uh, some sometimes you're looking for an idea sometimes you're trying to get very rigid to the text and I think uh it's not a problem here. I think it's um, as you think about uh, the the time of Solomon the wise man, and uh, what he did and the culture that they lived in, uh, casting your bread upon the waters uh, is not sitting by the edge and you know throwing out bread to the ducks. I was talking about shipping grain and and uh, the ability to feed the world and and uh, ship that across the waters and <clears throat> uh, I think it's saying the same thing is what I'm trying to get at. Um, when you think about the meaning of the passage, grain just as it is today is a commodity, valuable commodity, uh, because people need it to live. And when you harvest it in, there's value there. And you put it on a ship, you're taking risk. Um, and you, if you load it all onto one ship, uh, if something happens to the ship, there's a storm or it goes down or pirates or whatever, uh, there's a, all your eggs are, so to speak, in one basket, like the proverb says. Um, when you put it on multiple ships and you send it different places, you're, you're sending it out and uh, spreading out the risk. In other words, <clears throat> what we might say, investing advice today, we might say uh, diversify. Uh, don't put all your lifetime savings into one jar and bury it in the backyard. You know, put a little in savings, and put a little in your 401k, and put a little in stocks, and put a little in bonds, and you spread it around a little bit. Um, well, that that principle I think is a wise principle, and in fact, we'll read Ecclesiastes 11:1 and 2, the entire verse, and I'll think it'll help us understand a little better. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth now this translation is the english standard version and uh, that is the one that also is uh, uh cast your bread upon the waters as in the King James version and the New American Standard. Uh, The NIV seems to put it into this, ship your grain across the sea. And it's just conveying the idea, uh, don't just put all your eggs in one basket, but spread it around and keep your risk Less by uh, putting it in different places. So you're going to have difference in translations. And just as Solomon might say to diversify, I think this is a good lesson about diversifying in translations. As you read the Bible, you say you're used to, uh, you have this new NIV study Bible, uh, try a different translation. Get on BibleGateway.com and you can pull up any translation and just do a side by side comparison. And that many times is very helpful. In understanding the scripture by just looking at a slightly different translation now we want to stress we want you to have an accurate translation but on this program you'll hear us quote from the New American Standard the English Standard Version uh, the NIV um, the older one is a little bit better in my opinion uh, but but having those different translations sometimes it says it just a little bit of a different way and it helps you understand God's Word even better so the principle of Ecclesiastes 11, diversify and uh, good good investing advice and good uh, Bible study advice as well. Well, you're
0: making me nervous now. I am? Yeah, I just cashed everything out and bought Bitcoin. Oh, right okay, all right. Got everything in okay. crypt- cryptocurrency. All right,
1: well, we'll see how that works <laughs> for you. Hope you like a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I'll keep it under the mattress. All right. Uh, Different kind of question here. A Viewer says, "What does the Bible say about a woman dating or marrying someone who is in prison?" Well, I answer that real quick. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. Uh, but if you ask me that in person, uh, I'd have to know a little bit more. I'd say, "Well, what do you got in mind here? What, what are you talking about?" Uh, I have read in the news uh, about. Uh, especially infamous criminals in prison. Charles Manson, and I think he just recently died. But anyhow, that type of famous, infamous criminal uh, attracts, for some reason, groupies, uh, women that write to them and uh, communicate with them and fall in love with them and want to marry them and all that. Uh, if that's what you're talking about, uh, I wouldn't give you very good uh, positive counsel on that. It sounds like a bad idea to me. The Bible doesn't say anything about it, but I have heard about that. Uh, now, of course, some people are in relationships, and the, one of them has to go to prison, and uh, maybe you continue to have that relationship somehow and wait till the person gets out. The Bible doesn't say anything about that either. Uh in general, I'd say dating and marrying someone that's incarcerated is a pretty hard deal. Uh, marriage and dating is about companionship. It's about getting to know each other. It's about being together. Uh, and that's hard to do when somebody's locked up somewhere. So I don't know what this person's after. I guess the best answer is the Bible doesn't say anything about it. And uh, you ought to use good judgment in... Any kind of serious relationship. So, can't help you much on that one. Uh, I can take just a moment to invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you, and we like to do that each week because our sponsors are Churches of Christ around the country. Uh, we appreciate them and thank them for keeping us on the air. And let me mention a couple out in uh, western Kansas today. Uh, Great Bend and Scott City, both are congregations that uh, believe and know your Bible and support <coughs> us and keep us on the air, and we appreciate them. If you live in one of those communities and are looking for a church home, uh, you'd be warmly welcomed at any, either one of those, and uh, you'd find some folks that uh, study and think about the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible, so you know what you're doing, and you'd be warmly welcome. <coughs> uh, whatever market you're in, uh, wherever you're watching from, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All righty, Toby, what you got? The
1: viewer wants to know where does it show that women were apostles in the Bible. I'm afraid I have to repeat, Steve, here, can't help you there. There's nowhere in the Bible where it states, that women were apostles in the Bible. As far as we know, the apostles in the Bible, the men, or the 12 who followed Jesus, who were called by him and sent out by him and were re- witnesses of the resurrection, all of those were men. Uh, there is a, a, a debatable verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, where Paul says, "...Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles." And there's debate about whether Junio is a female name. And I don't even think it reads that they were apostles. I don't think it's what it's saying at all. I think it's saying these are well-known Jews by the apostles. They were outstanding. All of the apostles agree these are outstanding Christians and, and uh, people deserving of honorable mention. So, no, there's no place in the Bible that mentions a female apostle. And Jesus called men. Let's read Matthew 2. Uh, Matthew 10 through through, two through four rather the names of the twelve apostles are these first Simon who is called Peter and Andrew his brother James the son of Zebedee and John his brother Philip and Bartholomew Thomas and Matthew the tax collector James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. That's a list of the apostles, no female names among that list. So uh, nowhere in the Bible will you find that.
0: Okay, how big is heaven? Do you ever wonder about that? This viewer did. How big is heaven? Millions and millions of people have died, (laughs) and where do they all fit in? Uh, How can each one have a one-on-one with God? Well, let me answer that last part first. How can I have one-on-one with God? we got a lot of time. Uh, eternity is quite a while. So we're going to have time for one-on-one with God, however he works that out. As far as how big is heaven, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, you can find some dimensions. And basically it says... Heaven or the eternal city is going to be about as square as half of the United States. And then, of course, it goes up that far to another 1,500 furlongs. So it's going to be a pretty big place. Uh, but whether that's literal or not, we don't know. Personally, I think that's just telling us it's really big. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as small as I just described. He's got the whole universe to work with. Uh, He's going to have plenty of room for all of us and uh, plenty of time for all of us. So don't worry about that. We'll fit in and we'll get to have some one-on-one time with with each other and with God. All right, trivia question for the day was, uh, what was Paul's Jewish tribe? And Paul was pretty proud that he came from the tribe of Benjamin. Romans eleven one. You can read that. We're out of time today, but we're going to come back and try to answer some more questions next week. So we invite you to be here. Have a great week. <laughs>